Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. After a couple of weeks off uh, for a uh, socially distanced staycation, uh, the pair of us are back for another chat about some issues of the moment in the hotel investment space. My name's Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I am joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we're picking up on three stories that uh, we've been taking a closer look at in the last few days. First off, we're going to take a look at what could end up being the uh, the, the hotel story of, of the summer, or indeed of the, the coronavirus lockdown in the UK. What's going on at Travelodge? So a quick summary of the Travelodge story so far. So Travelodge in the UK, it's the country's second largest budget hotel brand, a little behind its slightly more expensive Pier Premier Inn. The Travelodge Opco is actually owned by private equity investors, and they lease all of their properties from a mix of large and small landlords. During the UK lockdown, the Opco's owners said they would not pay their quarterly rent as they could not afford it, something several of their landlords loudly disputed. However, they did default on their quarterly payments and then launched a proposal to pay discounted rents for this year and next uh, via a structure called a CVA, a procedure that's normally used to save a struggling business with too many outlets that wants to close some down. So to win support for the CBA, the brand owners offered several concessions to the landlords, including the promise of lengthened leases and potentially a little profit pot to share down the line. During negotiations, they were also forced to offer landlords a lease break option, which could be exercised during the next six months or so. Now, when we last talked about this, there was a feeling that as the landlords had grudgingly accepted the terms of the CBA, few of them would take the risk of considering a plan B. How wrong we were. Here is a potentially golden opportunity to break into the UK economy hotel space at scale and so have been offers of plenty from all manners of brands, some you'd recognise, others you wouldn't. And Andrew, you've been eyeing the form of the front runners in this exciting race. So who's tipped to win? Yeah, um, well, it, it could. I mean, in all honesty, I think it still could be Travel Lodge. Um, okay. <laughs> they will hang on to most of them. Um, Perhaps we'll, I've we'll, over-egged we'll, it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. But yeah. uh, the, um, of, of if people are going to jump ship, as it were, um, the, 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 the hottest ticket seems to be a go, which is Accor, um, Gullwing and Oasis, um, um, hence um, a, a, an acronym formed from those three. Um, and um, Accor, obviously, everyone knows, um, biggest um, hotelier in Europe. Gullwing is a new vehicle. Gullwing Hospitality is a new vehicle um, formed by uh, Lionel Benjamin, who used to be the hotel's director at Topland. Um, and he left um, at the beginning of the year and he's been doing a bit of consultancy work until he, he fell into this particular groove um, and then the O is Oasis Holdings which is um, owned by Viv Watts who is the organiser of the Travel Lodge Owners Action Group which represents the equivalent of 400 travel lodges um, across a number of owners um, so by far the biggest grouping of disgruntled owners um, within that particular portfolio so um, together what they've done is a very innovative and interesting new vehicle uh, which enables property owners to share in the opco and gives them a slice of the upside um i, I think it's very appropriate because given that we you know we can't get much lower than we've been during the lockdown so anything from here on in is going to be an upside and this gives owners probably as much of the 
share of the upside as they could possibly expect to get in this. Um, there, there is still going to be pain, but Travel Lodge has given them a lot of pain. So the choice they're facing is, well, do we stick with Travel Lodge, who've run the hotels pretty efficiently? I've not talked to many owners who are fed up with Travel Lodge, who as as operators, but. Uh, owners definitely are pretty hacked off at having this quite hard-nosed approach from travel lodge we're not paying your rent even though we probably could afford to in fact they can afford to um <laughs> they've decided not to pay the rent and this is the second cva after one in 2012 so you know eight years after uh, a cva in which a, a number of um um hotels were let were got rid of a number were completely um had their rents completely restructured um landlords i think uh justifiably aggrieved at this they see it as opportunistic on the part of uh travel lodge and that they're not very happy and um one of their favorite phrases they seem to be using is two strikes and you're out <laughs> this is very very much seen as the second strike yeah. so they're you know they're not very happy about it so what what are the alternatives well the negotiations by travel lodge are quite canny because one of the things if you're an institutional owner you're looking and saying look i've got this great portfolio of fixed income returns set over you know with with leases of x length and the longer the x is the bigger x is the better so what travel lodge have said is look we're going to extend our lease lengths by two or three years um that is going to make your assets that much more valuable by that amount um and you've got to sign up with us by the end of august so all of this is still in play until well for another month or so um at which point the owners have to decide do they jump into a new a new um operator um assign a new lease agreement or do they stick with the existing one although ostensibly it's until you know formally the break clauses only disappear after um uh, about november um, the end of november um in reality because if they don't sign up they're going to lose these lease extensions anyone who's going to jump ship is going to jump ship um before the end of august so what is it they they might jump ship to well there's a couple of interesting um offers out there there's there's one called good night which has been um uses the operating platform of uh, ksl capital um, village hotels um the owners are being offered a share of the profits of um good night hotels but not a share in the company what a go and where a go is quite different is that um not only do the owners get a share in the um uh, profits of the opco they actually get a stake in the opco as well in fact 49 percent of the opco is being distributed to the owners according to what their rent level is so mm. you know if you're the pay the most rent you get the biggest you get the biggest stake so that that's how they're 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 splitting it up and that that's this is where it becomes quite an accor as the brand has also got a 10 percent stake in a go and then the rest is held between oasis and um and um gullwing 
So, and, and if you look at the numbers, and there's some worked numbers which um, Ago have put out um, in their presentation, which we got hold of, um, which they gave to to owners, and um, there's certainly a significant potential upside, 10% plus, um, in terms of total returns if they switch and jump. But of course, there are risks with that. I mean, you've got a proven thing with Travelodge; you know they can do it, and you know you've got a risk here with um this new entity but you know, how much of a risk is it you've got Accor Accor are signing um franchise agreements but they're also doing a sort of manchise thing as well which is a management role for 12 to 24 months just to bring these these properties across one thing that I found interesting about this I'd always you know we'd always talked about travel lodge as a competitive premier in mm. but quite clearly it isn't and the the brand that Accor is going to give the um um, travel lodge hotels is ibis budget which is a significant notch down from premier inn so premier inn is most closely um aligned with say ibis core brand whereas um ibis budget is is a much more frugal offer um less f and um and it's quite there's quite clear blue water between ibis budget and ibis um core brand so it's quite interesting so that that suggest just how far apart premier inn has drifted how much more upmarket premier inn has drifted compared to the original vision of what this was a sort of two-star thing so premier inn has gone into i think quite firmly into sort of three-star limited service territory and travel lodges stuck more clearly with this two-star kind of area um if if stars have any meaning today's <laughs> and of course but. one of the other things that uh, premier inn did was um uh, stir, stir the pot a little bit by by insisting they were going to pay all their rent in full on time, all the way through the lockdown. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely, and and you know, in in terms of covenant strength, etc., that it should give them a keener yield as they go, as they go and sort of sign up any future leases. But what what I think the key point that comes out of this um, for me is is you know whether or not it happens. Mm. Um, it's just how ready institutional investors are to embrace operational real estate and actually you know take a, a slug of the opco income. Mm much more ready than i actually anticipated um and in fact you know we'd been banging the operational real estate drum for a good few years and we, you know we'd created the operational real estate festival which should have taken place this june um but uh but despite being big believers in it i am it's still i'm still struck by just how far everybody has shifted and i think that adage that what covid has done has accelerated trends and it's really accelerated it to the extent where this is you know uh, a quite viable offer here both both good nights and a go i would say a go is 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 the is a leading candidate but certainly good night is is a possibility i mean ihg have been in yeah. there they fell a, they fell a little bit short because there's worries in terms of avid you know, there isn't any avids in europe at the minute so you know what brand strength is is that really going to offer um and marriott um and marriott were a little bit <laughs> uh, reluctant to stick their hands in their pocket and come up with key money and that kind of stuff so we understand um 
but you know and there's a bunch of so people like magnuson and others who are in there as well but it, it does seem that a go are the the, the ones if anybody's going to do it it's going to be um it's going to be a go um but you know it's even lionel benjamin said to me you know it, it, it's by no means a slam dunk it's you know that there is still significant areas of risk in this and probably we're talking about a, a, not much more than 100 or so out of the 500 um, plus travel lodge properties um, which which will move across so um, and you know it, helpful to Accor it, it would give them it would raise their presence in the UK just about perhaps put them into sort of number three territory in the branded by Budget. Um, so overtaking Express, if they got that, if you lob together all of the different Ibises, three main Ibis brands or variants of the Ibis brand, which is the Ibis core brand, but there's the Ibis styles, which is the conversion brand, and there's this Ibis, Ibis budget, the old ETAP. Um, and in fact, old formula, <laughs> um, as was, um, I think, uh, still kicking around. Um, but um, it, it's all within under the, the the wider Ibis moniker now. If you put that wider Ibis moniker, that would just about if they get enough travel lodges to come across, that push push them ahead of um, Express, um, which would be you know a significant move. Still not where where um, Accor likes to be. It's overwhelmingly the number one, of course, in France. It's there or thereabouts in Germany and a number of other territories. So still a little bit of way to make up in the UK, but this would be a big, big um, launch pad for them to get that. So and, and, and in, in, a, in, in a period where actually getting new signings is going to be quite tough, this is a very smart move if Accor can pull it off. So the, the, they're very well motivated by that. And it was interesting to hear um, just how pleased the owners had been in terms of the engagement of Accor. Um, CEO Sebastian Bazan had, had appeared at a, a variety of different um, uh, conference calls or video calls um, during this process and there are more to come with featuring him and I, I think that shows just how committed um, Accor are to, to getting this over the line if they possibly can so I think there's a real real um, um, motivation from them um, to get this get this done um, they're not uh, what they're not doing though is they're not moving away from their um, asset light policy they're not putting their covenant strength behind this what they are doing is putting sweat equity in they're managing the hotels they're putting key money in um so that's the limit of the engagement which i think is probably where most of the global majors are going to be um going forward especially coming out of this um, um investors shareholders aren't going to be too keen to see capital committed um in a big way by um by these groups so i think this is this is a signal i think for the nature of the recovery um and i, I think a signal for just how powerful the move towards operational real estate is a little bit about some what some goings on in scandinavia um, where we've got perhaps the contrasting fortunes of Pandox, uh, the uh, owner-operator, and uh, Scandic, who, a bit like Travelodge, lease all their hotels. Um, and, of course, Pandox, a big fan of flexible leases, uh, only only signs leases with flexible element. Um, and uh, Nissan, their, their latest uh, results presentation, declared himself uh, seeing results moving ahead of where he thought they'd be at this point in the cycle so there's a there's a recovery starting to take shape in the various european markets in which pandox has properties and um he sounded fairly positive andrew is that well placed 
Up to a point, yeah. What this speaks to, I think, is the difference between um, the outcome so far um, of landlords and tenants. So the landlord, Pandoc's doing not too badly. The tenant, Scandic, really feeling mm. some pain. And even with variable leases, when you've got a situation, which obviously we've had in this in Q2, where there's been almost total shutdown and you've got zero income, if you've got any sort of um, minimum guarantee, you're going to be feeling some considerable pain. And while only 16% of uh, Scandic's leases are fixed, 65% are variable with some form of guarantee. All of those guarantees are going to be hurting and obviously the remainder which are fixed leases are going to be really hurting mm. for and pandox itself said the income they've had flowing in has been from minimum guarantees and from fixed leases so it has got some mm. in its portfolio even if they're not signing new ones um and w the issue as we go forward is how is this going to be um how is this pain going to be shared and we've just talked about travel lodge where an operator has the, has been powerful enough to try and pass down that pain to the mm. landlords. Um, in Scandic's case, it's not been so successful across the piece, although it's having discussions and I, there's going to be a significant level of pain passed down to to the landlords um, in its case as well it's simply it's, it's not really going to be able to to be you know carry on if it just has to keep shelling out uh, money I um, mean it gave some numbers in terms of where its break-evens are so EBITDA um, with just an A on the end 40% um, occupancy but EBITDA which has the R on the end um, which uh, excludes rent the occupancy break even points 20% so you can see put rent in there you've got to get another 20 percentage points of occupancy you've got to double your occupancy level mm. to break even and the key one cash flow positive you've got to be at 50 percent said Scandic so um at Pandox they are talking you know a good game but the reality is you've got to get back up to 50% plus occupancy levels at a reasonable rate at the normal rate um, for for you know to get back into any form of normal trade um, and and for things you know for, for um, finance payments to be met um, etc um, let alone before we start talking about you know giving some sort of dividend to shareholders so you've got to get to that level and we are probably well who knows we're months maybe maybe even years away from getting to that full recovery one of the things that come out from pandoc so they sort of talked about the different types of hotels and there's no great shocks here for anybody um of course it's the economy budget hotels which are doing better um it is hotels which are reachable um, by car or train and have a strong leisure market which are doing better and those which are doing really badly are ones dependent on international travelers and have a significant conference event um, element to their business so um you know the positivity that come came out of the pandox thing is based on on there not being a second wave mm. and well we've only got to look at the headlines at the moment and we're seeing all too um obviously just how damaging um you know this second wave the flare-ups which have caused the air so-called air bridges in europe they're already being broken um 
um, because of the, the, the new flare-ups in the virus. So I think, you know, and as we go into the winter season, everybody's expecting there to be a, 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 some sort of pick-up in, in, in outbreaks. Um, I think it's going to be a tough old uh, year or so ahead. Um, so it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's tough. Um, I mean, there is there is some reason for hope, but um, and you know, the likes of Pandox, which is a smart and sharp operator, um, uh, you know, they're going to come out of it probably better than almost anyone. But they're still going to have their share mm. of challenges. Too. And uh, just as you were kind of uh, alluding to there, you know, we, we did a little roundup of of the latest surveys, giving us a feel, some sort of a feel for what might be going to happen over the coming months in terms of the level of demand from business travellers, leisure travellers, are people ready and willing to get uh, get out there and travelling again? Um, and, uh, well, there seemed to be some positive sentiment in some of the surveys. There was one done by Accor in Europe. Uh, seemed seemed quite positive in terms of uh, companies wanting to get back to uh, business travel before very long, in fact. Come on starting to take place aren't we and yeah so you've got that factor so you've got the potential of of shutdowns i mean the reality of business travel yes there is going to be business travel but it's not going to be anywhere near what it used to be and certainly that more lucrative business travel the sort of professional services people most of them aren't going to be getting on the road anytime soon um that you i mean i i i you know, some people are saying it's changed forever. I don't believe that. I don't think it has changed forever because I think what will happen is people might say, oh, have a policy. It has changed. We don't need to go and visit clients as, as often as we used to do. But the reality is when their rivals start visiting clients and showing that extra bit of love, um, even though you don't really need to, it's that demonstration of commitment. Um, that that, that, that organisation that said, oh, we're not visiting clients as much as we used to will change its tune because it's yeah losing business so we will but it's going to be a very slow and gradual process i mean right now the people back on the road you know are staying at the mid-market and budget hotels so they're contractors people are they have to be on site to deliver their services as that that bit of the markets the bit, bit of the economy has opened up um you know hotel is hotels are going to be needed for that that you know, the lawyers and the bankers and the consultants level where um, mostly at the four star and you know if you're a Goldman Sachs <laughs> banker you know come over to talk about Travel Lodge you're probably staying <laughs> at a five star um, um, so uh, th 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 those people aren't really um, doing it yet um, but you mm. know I think that will come that will come at some point I hope you know early next year um, how early will, remains to be seen but I think there's it's going to be quite gradual and you've only got to look at how much capacity has been taken out of the airline industry and you're going to have to smoke something quite serious to believe that the whole thing's going to come back in a v-shape um, because when you've lost more than a third of airline capacity that lot's gone and they just doesn't yeah. suddenly switch on those pilots you, have been let go it takes a while you can't to you can't bolt a 747 you know, back even, together if it's been scrapped <laughs> well quite no no quite no 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 absolutely and well i mean you know the planes could arguably be sitting there and be, they're probably quicker but the pilots themselves take several months even if they are mm -hmm. fully trained pilots if they haven't been flying they have to go back into their sims to, yeah. to get retrained yeah. and all that sort of stuff so that takes a while and all of this you've so you've got all of that you know which is going to be tough there you've got a lot of companies which are looking at at, at their p l saying actually we've whacked out a huge amount of expense 
they're on travel i'd like to keep it that way the finance directors <laughs> will say you know i don't you know why why do we need to spend so much they'll say why do we need to unfortunately for businesses like ours chris they'll be also be saying why do we need to sponsor so much as well um so there'll be all of this it will come back but it's just going to take it's going to take a while i'll just leave one data point yeah. um with our listeners which is um just in the uk uk hospitality um they they've got this tracker which is with cga um and and they reckon that um q2 um just 4.2 billion pounds worth of sales were in were in British hospitality in Q2 this year, and this compares to 34.2, um, which took place. So that's uh, a 30 year billion of savings. Quarter. 30 billion has or not gone have gone not been spent well not been spent it's just gone not been spent so of course it was shut down but anecdotally what we're seeing um as things come back it's just not too pretty um so you're talking about always 70 percent back already and i'm thinking well actually i was looking for it to bounce back even stronger certainly initially with all this pent up let's go out for a pint kind Mm. of mentality but we didn't get that and i suspect it will fade quite significantly as we as we head into the autumn that's my Mm. big fear for this in terms of that consumer bit in terms of what they're after um we're going to have a rip-roaring summer in 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 british hospitality and certainly in terms of accommodation we're already seeing that now thanks to the air bridges being spontaneously mm. shut um we've just seen the span the spanish air bridge go um and brits have to quarantine for 14 days which is gonna which is pretty much killed that market for out from an outbound perspective um they'll be looking for holidays um you know in the uk now and I know a number of people who've switched from um, Spanish islands to Scottish islands, for example. So you know you're going to see this this change, and we're you know people are already talking about coast coast coastal areas. Well, yeah, I, I heard this business. morning down some southwest um, hotels are currently doing eighty percent occupancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's well, um, campsites are charging you know hotel room rates just for a pitch. Um, so it, it, it's grim, um, you know, um, from 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 the point of view that we've got under capacity, really. But um, so there's good news for that in the short term. But I think that will that will fade, and we've yet to really, you know, to to carry on being Mister <laughs> Doom and Gloom, despite my two weeks of holiday. Um, I should be more chipper, but um, um, the reality we we haven't yet seen the mass unemployment. That's still to come. That horror is mm. still awaits us. In the autumn and when that kicks in and when people because the fact is that you know people have had a you know for a lot of people they've been sitting at home getting paid close to what they used to get just for sitting at home it's been not too bad a time um as they lose their jobs however it's going to be a very different picture and as we get to three million or more unfortunately unemployed in the uk um when we're going to see similar proportional levels of unemployment across europe and elsewhere in the world um we're going to see a consequent drop in demand and it's it's going to be a tough old tough old few years as we come through um i'm very positive about the the medium and longer term outlook of the hospitality industry but it's going to be and on that happy note I'm off to auction my tent to the highest bidder. Bye for now.